Live from the Voodoo Rooms at the Edinburgh Fringe, it's the Voodoo Varieties with Matt Ricardo. To kick off our series of shows from the 2012 Edinburgh Fringe, we have an interview with legendary comedy reviewer Coptic, followed by a chat with the best-selling author and ex-street magician Professor Richard Wiseman. The shows are recorded live on stage, so the audio quality suffers a little, so apologies for that, but I'm still pretty sure you'll enjoy them. I thought for the first, first show of the season, we need someone who knows Edinburgh better than anybody. And that person is the legendary Copstick. Hello. Hello. Right. Right. Bloody hell, it's a bit messy up here, isn't it? Yeah, it was those two Irish. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the two dancers. The two dancers who did ask me to point out that the, that the last part of the act is better when they're not clogged dancing on carpet. They asked me to make that clear. Yeah. Um, so. I'd like to, I feel horribly. I didn't realise everyone would be so smart. I forgot it was. Cabaret and not stand up. Yeah, you see, suits. Suits and, no, and I'm nice so dresses. Sorry. And, well, that's all. We're not all oh, there's some very badly dressed people in the audience. That's yeah, yeah. You're very stylish, by the way. No. You are? No. Isn't she stylish? Yeah. That was a bit. That was a bit of 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 a I, I think I'm probably something like senior comedy reviewer for the Scotsman, and I am now Mrs. Comedy for Scotland on Sunday. Mrs. Comedy? Well, that's not what... <laughs> is there a Mr. Comedy? <laughs> Sadly, no. Uh, well, I'm, I'm, I write all of the 800 to 1,000 words that Scotland on Sunday is prepared to give to comedy. <laughs> that's about five much too much, in my opinion, but no, I'm joking. <laughs> so, how long have you been doing this? How, is it, how many fringes have we done? What? I'm not entirely sure that I'm happy about Well, I mean, no, I've no. been reviewing yes. since 1998. Okay. Right. And, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I think I first did a show at the Fringe in about 1986. Because you have a background in comedy. <laughs> you wouldn't know it, but yes, I do. Well, I, yeah, I was, um, I was a lawyer, then I was an actress, then I was a... Uh, Children's television presenter. I know. Can't stand the little fuckers, but the great thing about doing children's television is that you don't actually have to meet any of the little gits. You just kind of do the television at them from the comfort of the studio. Mm-hmm. And I, I did various... I did a lot of sketch comedy and musical comedy, and I was described by the independent. They said, the future of comedy is here, they said in, in uh, 1991 how wrong they were. Well, the viewers don't... You, you never, never believe what you read in the paper. No, exactly, yeah. Um, yeah. There's no nice way to say this. Go on. But how, how do you... How do you react to your reputation as being feared? Because you, you've got a you reputation... You mean I can? Well, I'm not... No. You know I think I you're lovely. You I know am. that I think you're lovely. I mean, and a cow. So I'm, not going, I'm not reviewing you, it's fine. We can be, we can be frank. No, you see, the whole point of getting you on this show is to try and trick you into saying something nice that I can then quote later. Oh, okay. So I say, do you like my tie? And you say, yeah, your tie is great. 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 No, I've, no yeah. that, you see, you should be a PR person. You just did say great, so that's, oh, that's done now. Fantastic. You can, you can go now. I'm just <laughs> thrilled to be here. But, you know, I, I think you do have expectations that have been... Don't fiddle with your trousers while you're talking to me. I'm just tucking on my shirt. <laughs> but now I can't, I'm just going to do it for the whole interview. Mm, I feel really mm, uh, mm. I'm not going to stop doing that. No. Yeah. 
You're very mobile thumbs, haven't you? I've got very mobile thumbs. <laughs> You're not the first one to say that, Caustic. <laughs> anyway, no, I am. I. I really don't see the point in, in reviewing if you're not going to say exactly what you think, as long as you can back up what you think with a reasonable amount of uh, intelligence and articulacy and reason. You know, you can't just go, I thought the show was shit because I happened to be a bit premenstrual and pissed at the time. Um, but there's also no point in, in beating around the bush and going, well, tried very hard, blah, blah. No, if it's shit, it's shit. Because most shows, especially now, most shows cost a fucking fortune. You know, you just, it, it's, we've kind of, we're going beyond uh, the point where you can go, never heard of this person, I'll give it a go. So, I mean, in comedy, sadly, the, the intelligence of the audience, I think, is just dwindling up the arsehole of uh, television. Because what they do is, if you could have a crock of shit live on stage at just pluck some say the I don't know the underbelly and if it had an as seen on Mock the Week or star of Michael McIntyre's roadshow strap on the poster it would sell out at 16 quid a pop just because you know pe- audience is not you obviously because you're a cabaret audience and by definition you're smart you're thinking, you, uh, you, you don't just go to any old show, you come to see the best. You like a performer who is well-dressed, who is, who is well-spoken, who has articulate thumbs. Uh, but no, I mean, a lot, of, a lot of comedy audiences, I find, they just, they're just they're muppets. <laughs> you, know, they, you know, it's just... And they genuinely believe that because somebody has been given lines and allowed to rehearse them for a week and then got edited to buggery to make sure they don't look like quite the twat they are, that that's what they're going to get when they go and see them live in Edinburgh, and it isn't. Mm. You know, it's... Um, and then you get a lot of people who... You know, I, also, I don't see there's any point in being nice about somebody <coughs> like Rod Gilbert, who has basically dragged up the arse end of a tour that has been every place in the UK except Edinburgh so far to do seven nights at the EICC or wherever it is. Fuck you. This isn't the place to do the arse end of a tour. This is the place to bring new stuff, interesting stuff, stuff that's, you know, that, that's out there, that, that's trying new things or new people. Don't just schlep up some tired old crap because you know that there's enough dumb people who'll, who'll come here and pay 16 quid a ticket for it. Yeah. I kind of think that pretty much every show up here the person doing it should be unsure of whether it's going to work or not. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. No, either should, you know, new people or old people doing new stuff or doing old stuff in a new way or something. It's the fringe, for God's sake. You know, that's where you take risks. That's where you try. Mm. But, you know, it's just... And it is, it's... it's um, if the fringe can be killed, it will be comedy that kills the fringe. Yeah. Because, they, I mean, I remember I was doing a show. Uh, did I mention that the Independent said the future of comedy is here? But anyway, I was doing that show that year. And uh, turned out the show, Pleasance, and that was the year that big comedy right. came to the fringe. That was the year that Avalon <laughs> came <laughs> properly for the first time. And I had, this is how much I cared, I had letter-setted <laughs> my own posters, A4 size, and photocopied them. So 
we, I was out with a guy that was in the show with me who was not, incidentally, called The Future of Comedy, although just I you. was, yeah, just me. Um, and we were, I think, we had covered David Bedil's big toe. And we were physically threatened by Avalon's, you know, postering mall. But it was the first year you just thought, it was like a chill wind blew through Edinburgh. Yeah. So it's big business. And the fringe should never be. I don't mean that big comic shouldn't come to the fringe. That's fantastic. But they should do, I mean, I quite like, I know there was somebody uh, being not very nice about uh, people coming up and doing work in progress up here. I think it's a great idea, but don't fucking do it in the music hall to 700 people. Yeah. You've got to do work in progress, do like Harry Hill's doing the scan, Phil Jupiter's is doing the scan, play around with new stuff, and then it's a thrill for people to see it. You know, it's, a, it's fun to watch comics do, because they, they never, there just isn't the level of skill involved in comedy that there is in what you do. You know, every time, no matter, I mean, I, I don't take this the wrong way, but every time you throw your balls in the air, they could just come down the wrong way. You know, there is, <laughs> um, there's just not that level of jeopardy in mm. comedy. Okay. You know, because yeah. a comic does a crap gag, the audience don't laugh, the audience can go, well, and the, the, the comic can say, the audience just didn't get it. You throw your balls in the air, miss one, Everybody knows you've done it's it wrong. It's a clear, you know? we fight. Yeah. So, um, there just isn't the, the, the jeopardy ever in comedy, and I think bigger comics should be braver and put themselves out there. And, you know, you, I mean, some Jimmy Carr uh, goes around tiny comedy clubs all the time trying out new stuff. A, a very few of them do. I mean, there's a show, if you are interested in stand-up or you're interested in comedy and the way it works and the way comics work... There's a show that's on at Just the Tonic. It's called Set List. Mm. And it was here last year. And um, basically what it is, is, is comics go uh, up on stage and when they arrive on stage, they get their set list, which is a list of five things they have to make ten minutes of comedy out of. Now, it's not... Your, it, the, 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 the topics they're given are surreal. Um, uh, things like you know, Siamese roller coaster or post-coital crayon. And they have to make up uh, a set so it can be funny because a comic makes a great set out of strangeness funniest thing is though if you watch you'll see Phil Jupiter's you'll see Greg Proops you'll see Jimmy Carr standing up at the back shitting themselves <laughs> you know they, are, you, they sweat and that's when you see the proper stand up in them yeah. come back out from all the layers of Safety that comics have on television. They are bricking it and they're, you know, sort of going, and then when they come off, you know, I, I met Jimmy and he said, I haven't felt like that for 15 years. And that's, so if you want to go and see uh, big name comics, that would be the place to see it because that's really entertaining and that gives you an insight into them and that, that lets you see them work. Anyone here got tickets for Ron Gilbert? I'm so glad. <laughs> I'm so glad. But, you know, those... I wouldn't go and see any of these shows because all the big shows, you can go anywhere to see them. There'll be two yeah. in the country forever. Do you think that the, the free fringe has helped kind Fantastic. of... Fantastic. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. I think Peter Buckley Hill should be given a knighthood, if not a sainthood. Uh, the man is mad as two boxes of frogs, <laughs> but he's 
wonderful. He's, I think, you know, he has gone a long way to saving the fringe because yeah, 1995 or something he started, and the free fringe was one show, which was Peter Buckley Hill and some comedians, and then it grew, and then there was a bit of a hoo ha with the Laughing Horse, whose, I mean, Peter's heart and soul are in the free fringe. I think the free fringe's heart and wallet are more into what having a free festival can bring them. Mm. But certainly it gives people a lot of free shows. There's now, and we'll be going down to do something unacceptable with Bob Slayer at the Hive. It wouldn't be the first time I've done something unacceptable with Bob Slayer. No, he's he's doing the alternative fringe and things don't get much more unacceptable than Bob Slayer. I was gutted Uh, last night. uh, I couldn't go, but I was invited out of the, I was offered free beer. And that normally, quite frankly, will have me on my back with my legs in the air. Um, I was asked to go and tattoo someone at his lounge. And I was like, well, I can't tattoo. And, oh, no problem, no problem. He's got a very high, thre- very high pain threshold, he said. <laughs> but I, I couldn't go. But there'll be lots of good stuff there. I think yeah. everybody should go to as much at the Free Fringe as possible. There's all kinds of people there. Now, I've just, I've just spent... Uh, quite a long time drinking heavily with um, the Lumberjacks who are Craig Campbell, uh, Glenn Wool, and Stu Francis and Glenn Wool says the only place he does late night gigs now are with Peter on the Free Fringe because mm-hmm. Peter gave him his first late night gigs it's, you've done stuff on the Free Fringe yeah my first show here two years ago was Free Fringe I wouldn't have been able to financially or I think kind of emotionally, yeah. you know, commit to something more than that. But it totally opened it up to me. Yeah, yeah. And it's, I mean, this year, uh, just in case there's any performers here, I've basically said, uh, I don't want to see any stand-ups who are in venues of over 400 seats. That's not a fringe venue. And uh, if you don't have, if you can't, for some reason you found out that you couldn't afford 2,000 quid for a PR, uh, my email address is copstick at bobbiesgirl.co.uk and my phone number is 0780-350-7269. Don't phone, because I'll just get nippy. You know this is text podcasted, me. don't you? Yeah. <laughs> text me and uh, pitch me your show, and I'll try and come and see it. But I might think it's shit. That's the risk you have to take. Because I am a cow, as I think this is <laughs> Okay, so, I mean, obvious kind of cliche questions. Um, tell me the worst shows I've seen. One of the worst shows I've ever seen was Alan Davis, which was about 10 years ago. Um, and it was partly... Because a lot of the time you go and see somebody who's in uh, you know, a, a disabled toilet in a pub somewhere, there's you and a whippet watching, and you're just having a go. So that can never really be terrible, because it's somebody having a go. You get somebody who's playing to 800 people who self-evidently doesn't give a shit. Mm. That's t- I mean, that was awful. He came on with notes in the music hall uh, at Assembly. That is awful. 56... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this was, this was about 10 years ago, and it was like 16 quid a seat. Notes, A4 pad. And he, every so often, he would do a bit of chat, a bit of chat, and go... What's good this year? Whoa, well, let's talk about what's good this year. And then about half an hour in, he just stood up and he went... Um, I used to be able to work an audience. 
at, at which point I wrote, yeah, maybe you used to give a fuck, Alan. And then, get this, he asked for requests. And now apparently, fuck off and die was not the kind of request <laughs> he was looking for. But he said, that, like, um, material that people knew from the past that he'd done. Like, you know, Frank Sinatra singing My Way. Alan Davis doing his stuff about cats and dogs. And nobody, embarrassingly but tellingly, I thought, nobody requested anything. Mm. It, was, it was just horrific. And, you, you know, you think, how, how dare you? Yeah. I see an awful lot of... Um, I can't remember the last time I saw a really good female double act. They all t- I mean, they tend to be uh, two girls who are not quite good enough and know they're not quite good enough to be stand-ups on their own, so they get together with a friend who's also not quite good enough in the hope that together, two not quite good enoughs will make a good enough. And it doesn't. <laughs> so what should we be looking out for this year? Um, I mean, I think there's loads, loads on... I would just keep going to the free fringe... Uh, and uh, see what to see what turns out. I saw actually my my second second show that I saw today was called Caput. Oh, Tom Flanagan. Tom. Oh, Tom Flanagan. Yeah. It was, you know, there's, again, there's a lot. I don't know why I bother with comedy anymore because it just irritates me now. But they, okay, it's the first day of the festival, and so I'm going. Well, I could go and see this, 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 and you get. People go, well, he'd rather you didn't see him at his first night. He's a fucking stand-up! And he's been doing the show for a month in London. So I asked if I could go and see Tom. His show, the stage, is a small stage. He's in the dairy room at Underbelly, which is a fabulous little place. The stage is about this size. And he has, it's full of props and all kinds of stuff. And it's very physical comedy. And it's brilliant. A, he's just lovely. He looks kind of like the bastard love child of a very young Paul Nicholas and Norman Wisdom. <laughs> <laughs> and he's, he ch- he's so warm, still lovely, very strange audience. I was the only, I was one of only about five people who were over three feet tall. Uh, they were children, incidentally. Um, uh, very strange, but I think because it's such a friendly poster... Absolutely everything that could go wrong in that show did go wrong. Sound cues were wrong, yeah. didn't happen. Uh, everything fell down. I mean, the set <laughs> fell down. And the, <laughs> the technical crew at Underbelly were revealed behind, desperately trying to hold on to yeah. it. <laughs> but as far as I was concerned, it just made it better because there was nothing that fazed him. Everything was, it was all, it was very slapsticky anyway. So because he went, he just rolled with everything that happened. Um, you know, firemen lifted small children out the way when the set fell down. It was one absolutely glorious and funny, and he's joyful, is the word that I would use. Absolutely joyful. And I'm only sad to say that probably things will stop going wrong. Uh, and you'll probably see a show that goes very well, but I would imagine even then, yeah. uh, just, just that he's lovely. Yeah. He's, he's yeah. lovely and, and so clever. It's 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 great that you great body. <laughs> it's great that you pick something that's that's variety. You know, it's, uh, it was just it was just world, yeah. joyful is the word yeah. I would use, even for me. I think we're going to leave it there. I think we've got. A, you know, <laughs> I, can't, 
I think I think I'm going to quit while I'm ahead. You've just recommended a variety show. Yeah. Um, and and dissed some famous uh, stand-ups. Yeah, okay. So that's that's much any time, time. Any time. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, please, go nuts for Pop Tech. Tell us about your, your background before, because now you are the Professor of Public Understanding oh, yes. of Psychology. I'm a professor. Yes. You're a professor. Yes. Um, but I used to be, as I said, I used to do the magic for many a year. I used to do street performances, actually, oh, okay. in Covent Garden, um, and uh, I wasn't very good. When did you do street performing in Covent Garden? Uh, when I was late? Uh, no, I think I, I, was, I was 18, so that was three years ago. Um, <laughs> I was doing that. No, I guess it would be about 82. Something okay, like yeah, that. I arrived at about 88. Yes, so. yeah, I was warming them up for you. Thank you. Uh, Thank for you. four years. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so I did that for a while, and, uh, and after the magic, and then did psychology, is what I do now, mainly mm-hmm. illusion stuff. And what explain the public understanding of psychology. Uh, well, it's about getting stuff out there. So I write books, um, do TV stuff, do talks, uh, anything that kind of gets it from the kind of research lab, which is a very interesting place. But actually, psychology research labs are quite, they're quite good. They're full of two-way mirrors, um, so you can watch people secretly. Uh, and legally, as well, uh, it turns out, a lot of the time. Uh, but most of my, my work isn't in um, labs, it's actually out in the real world. So I do a lot of sort of secret, kind of like hidden observation stuff. Um, so I did some, some work uh, in Edinburgh, actually, uh, about a year ago, looking at the best thing to put into your wallet, if you're going to get your wallet returned, if you drop it. Uh, so we dropped 200 wallets all over the city with different things in. Um, one had like a... A puppy, um, not, a, not, not, not a real puppy, um, that would be odd, uh, Jesus, um, a picture of a puppy, uh, and others had a picture of a baby and a picture of a family and, and, and so on, and, uh, and the baby won, so if you, wanna, if you want to uh, get your wallet returned, a little picture of a baby uh, in it, so I've got a baby picture in my wallet, I haven't got any kids, uh, but I've got a, uh, one in there, so uh, yeah, that's the sort of thing I do. Okay, okay, and also I, I have been a fan of your work of debunking the paranormal. Yes. Why must you take away the magic? I must, I must take away the magic. I must, I must take away the magic um, because it's it's fun for me uh, to do that. Uh, so uh, yes, um, the although I've got a joke actually. Do you want to hear my joke? I think we do. It's not very good. Actually, I'm trying to sort of find out if this is a good joke or not because um, someone told me this joke. It's a paranormal joke. Uh, so it's Reincarnation Weekly. I was thinking of subscribing. 160 quid. I thought, ah, oh, you ended it once. <laughs> it's not a very good joke, is it? It's not a bad joke. I think it might bore them one. Yes, yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. Um, so no, I do stuff. Um, uh, did stuff actually on the allegedly haunted uh, vaults. I don't know if any of you've been to the, the Nidra Street vaults. I'm pointing over there as if I know where we are. Uh, it could be anywhere, to be honest. Uh, to the Nidra Street uh, vaults, and uh, so we looked at the, the ghostly goings on down there. The big reputation for being haunted. It's a, a sort of plague street um, where they brick people up and um, have the, the plague. I think it's something we should bring back, um, even just people have a mild headache or something. Uh, but uh, so yeah, this stuff, and it, it turns out they're not haunted. Um, right. So yes, yes, yes we, we 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 upset people with that as well. People get upset genuinely. Yeah, I get a lot of hate mail. Do you? Yeah, I get a fair amount. Um, the uh, so I did a book called Paranormality last year, which was all about the paranormal, um, and uh, got this postcard uh, saying, uh, "Dear Richard, uh, you've completely failed to explain Jesus Christ." Uh, all the best, anon. Uh, so that was that was nice. Um, that was that was good. So I've got a new book out this year. Uh, Jesus Christ explains. Uh, so uh, I have a, a sale of just one person, I think. Yeah, that. and they won't make it. I wouldn't have thought no. so. No, 
I mean, I, I know the answer to this question, I would imagine, but have you ever investigated something paranormal and not explained it? No. <laughs> um, the, uh, no, I don't think so. No, I think all the stuff we've explained, we've, we've, we've come up with... Um, but a lot of the people involved in it are, are insane. Um, yeah. so, so that's quite good. We investigated a medium, spent a year investigating a medium, spent some time with her. I said, what's the most annoying thing about being a medium? And she said, oh, people make appointments and then don't turn up. <laughs> I thought, surely there's a clue there, uh, but apparently not. We had on a, on a previous podcast uh, last week, we had Paul Zenon. Oh, yes, Paul, oh, yeah. Who's in, embroiled in a, a spectacular feud with Psychic Sally. He is. Um, which he was, he kept telling me he couldn't talk about it. Yeah. Legal, and, and then he kept talking about it. Um, I won't talk about it because um, she's got very powerful uh, lawyers. So, um, yes. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I, I should say, I, obviously, I am a, 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 a skeptic. Um, I have seen a ghost. Really? As, as clear as you are now, I've seen, I've seen a ghost. Right. And as I was seeing it, I kind of assumed it was a hallucination, which is what, so surely what a rational person does. Well, yeah. hold, hold on a second. Oh, hold on a second. You're going to tell me it was a ghost now. Uh, yes, that one may have been genuine. Okay. Um, so hold on, were you drunk at the time? No, I was. <laughs> there's no way to say this without sounding like a very strange person. I apologise in advance. I was making a visit back to uh, the place where I grew up as a child. I was walking in the... So I was quite emotional. Yeah. I was walking in the uh, park that my granddad used to take me to. Right. My granddad grew roses. I was walking under an arch made out of roses. Right. And I was on some heavy medication. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not quite as convincing now, this ghost story. It's, it's, it's starting and to crumble, isn't this it? This man just said, I'm your granddad. And I'm like, oh, right, yeah. No, um, I, I used to have epilepsy, so I was on some quite heavy medication for epilepsy, right. and I was very, very emotional, and I just saw my granddad walk towards him and walk past me, and I turned out and he wasn't there. No, I, my granddad's dead, I know that wasn't a ghost. Yeah. I was just, I, I was in a heightened emotional state, and yeah. on some drugs, and hallucinated something. Yes. That's possibly the worst evidence for ghosts I've ever heard. Yes, no, I'm, not, I'm not trying to prove ghosts. No, 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 exist, I understand. Yeah. I understand. Yes, you, you were out of your face, and you saw. Let's not say that. And and you and you were, you know, you saw your granddad. Yes, yes. yeah, it was yes. nice. I, I could imagine. But I knew it wasn't real. Yes, yeah. Um, no idea uh, what to, to say about that. It might no, be real. Well, don't say that. You're the person that's meant to confirm it wasn't real. It might be your granddad saying, I went to so much effort to appear in front of you, and you just And I just rationalised it away. Yeah. yeah. No, he'd be <laughs> so disappointed. This, this interview is, is going in reverse now. You <laughs> should, it's not, your job is to not say yeah. we, don't, we don't answer questions. How do you feel about that? <laughs> not good, honestly. <laughs> Psychologist says that they're just buying time. If you're going to see a psychologist, how do you feel about that? Uh, there's, there's no insight. It's just what we do when we've got nothing else to say during an interview uh, with a patient or something. How do you feel about that? And how do you feel about that? We, we don't have to answer the oh, question. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Do you mean about luck? Yes, luck. Um, well, I've studied luck uh, for 10 years uh, with some very lucky and unlucky people. We found the luckiest and unluckiest people in the country. Um, unlucky person. How, how, how did you find these people? Well, um, we advertised for them, actually, strange <laughs> enough. We have an advert in a newspaper, and uh, we said if you're very lucky or unlucky, get in contact. And uh, lucky people were, were, were fine. You know, they sort of won raffles and found parking spaces and all sorts of other things. I mean, not that they didn't find parking, but when they wanted a parking space, they found one. They didn't just find the parking space. They wouldn't be uh, very uh, impressive. Um, but uh, so the unlucky people were good though so we had this woman uh, Marie uh, who was very unlucky she was from Liverpool um, that's not why and, uh, and she was unlucky in love 
Um, so she, uh, actually she's unlucky at the, at the car journey, she had fifth, uh, eight accidents in one 50 mile journey, Jesus. which is a world record. And uh, she blamed it on a jinxed green car. And then one day she came to the university and watched her trying to park, whereas a few other factors. Um, <laughs> and she uh, signed up with a dating agency. The first date came off his motorbike and broke his leg. Replacement date walked into a glass door. And then she's going to get married, and the church she's going to get married in was burnt down just before the wedding. So it's not been a lucky life. It's been quite funny, um, if you're not Marie. Um, and that's, that's basically what we did. We laughed at them. Right. It's what we call laughter therapy. Yeah. How did they feel about that? I have no idea. Uh, we never had time with laughing too much to ask them. Uh, no, no, so we, we worked with them for a while, and uh, it was fun, and then worked out little things you could do to make yourself luckier, um, and uh, it was written up in my, my first book, The Luck Factor, which is still available, still in print. There we go, there we go. Yeah, yeah. 799. Lovely. <laughs> <laughs> little helps. Yes. Um, I've got here, I'm, I'm, I'm doing topic headings. World's yeah. funniest joke. Oh, no. What? I hate the world's funniest joke. So we spent a year looking for the world's funniest joke. We had 40,000 jokes sent in to us, and uh, 30,000 of them were disgusting. <laughs> uh, so we had to take those out, and we had 10,000 jokes. And we did this thing where people came online and voted for the world's funniest joke. And um, it just wasn't very good. Did you ever like the world's funniest joke? Or was no, it there were quite a few I did like. Uh, there were things like what you call a monkey in the minefield, a baboon. Um, my favourite one, I think, was the dog that goes, our station dog actually, it goes to um, uh, send a telegram. It shows how old this joke is, I send a telegram. And this telegram is woof, 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 woof. And the telegram operator says, actually, for the same price, you can send an extra woof. And the dog says, don't be stupid, that wouldn't make any sense. <laughs> I liked that joke, That's as opposed to the shit joke that won the, uh, the thing. I'm going to have to tell it now. You're going to have to tell it, yeah. I spent 10 years telling this joke. It's rubbish. Um, it's the two hunters go into the woods, and one suddenly clutches his throat, falls over motionless. The other one whips out his mobile, uh, calls emergency services, and says, I think my friend's dead. And the woman says, Look, calm down. Uh, we can help. First of all, we have to make certain he's dead. And she hears a pause and then a gunshot. And he comes back on and says, OK, now what? <laughs> <laughs> I, exactly. like, I like it. I think really? it's good. Really? Well, you know, I'm not very funny. Um, so uh, we're going to start to wrap it up now because we have a very we cram a lot of stuff into this show. Okay. Um, is there anything you want to advertise while you're here? Do you want to no. no. Um, uh, I have <laughs> nothing. Um, I have a. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not doing a writing this, this fringe actually. Uh, I'm I'm in um, Cannonsgate's pub um, tomorrow for a couple of shows. Um, but please don't don't come. Uh, it's it's uh, it's a very very small. It's only me there. There's no audience. Uh, I say it's a show. Uh, it's just me at the back of the bar, um, just talking to myself. So I'm there, um, but d don't, please. Um, and I'm doing some interviews with BBC, um, interviewing various uh, people, but it's, that won't be very good. Um, so <laughs> come to that. So I don't think um, there's anything I do want to say. Nothing at all that you're proud of? Nothing I'm proud of. Nothing um, no, I don't, I, don't want to inter I don't want to push it. I just want to do this for the love of it. I don't want to be seen as some kind of whore who's here to mention his latest book, Rip It Up, that's out there now. I don't want any of that. I just want to be here as a, as a, for the love of it, for the well, love that, of you. That is very laudable, and, and I love you too. That's very kind. One more time, Professor Richard Wise. Thank you. And that's it for this episode of The Varieties. 
We're releasing a bunch of shows during the Fringe, so keep checking iTunes for new episodes. And as always, if you like what you hear, leave a review. It really helps. We're running the shows at the Voodoo Rooms Ballroom at 8.15 every single day except Monday until the 26th. And my new one-man show, Vaudeville Schmuck, is at the same venue at 5.45. It'll be great to see you there, but until then, that was your Voodoo Varieties. <laughs>